Hi, this is Liam Sharp. I'm the artist on the recent Green Lantern run with Grant Morrison and Batman Reptilian with Goth Ennis. I'm here talking about 11 o'clock comics. Have a good time. Cheers. <laughs> I don't even know why I'm here. I'm so sick of you clowns. After that last weekend, I'm done. I just I'm need, I need... I'm, I'm glad June is half a year away. Seriously, it's too damn soon. I just talked to you two days ago in the person, in the flesh, and now... And before that, it was weeks ago. Right! It's just... Uh, I'm done. Uh, I just can't. I can't take it. <laughs> too much of a good thing. Never. You can never have too much of a good thing, as this is proof. 11 o'clock comics, episode 772. Whew, and I'm Vince B. You are Vince B. I am David A. Price. Indeed you are, and I'm wishing you all a holly jolly Christmas, because I'm Burl Ivanhoe Ives. <laughs> you're, you're so silly. You're not Burl Ivanhoe Ives. You're Jason Wood, everybody. Sounding decidedly bassy. <laughs> How did that happen? <laughs> well, yeah. as our devoted listeners may recall, uh, I think this was on air, but maybe it wasn't. You, when we were doing our little in-person joint before leaving for Emerald City last week, you said, you got a, uh, a dial on that there mic that allows you to control the sensitivity of the mic? And I said, nah, bruh. Yeah, the volume button. That's it. And then, uh, as luck would have it, because um, the cleaning people came today, so I had to move my mic back over here. I'm like, oh, I'm like, wait, it doesn't sound right. And then I realized it's because it was all the way towards the other end of things. And then I started playing with it. I'm like, oh snap! <laughs> I do have that ability. Yes, and now, right. and now they know the cross that I must bear. <laughs> the the man that can split an atom. And te- teach each half the Watusi, you know, whatever. And like I said before, I didn't want to. I didn't want to lean into it because it was your house. And if you say it's not a, it's not a volume uh, sensitivity knob, then it's not. It's not the Tuma. It's not. So yes, but here we are, everybody. Once again, we will regale you with some post Emerald City Comic Con discussion. But first. The list of specials has been posted on DCBS. They are many, but I have selected three and put my money where my mouth is. All three of them are on my order. I ordered each and every one of these. You'll see why. Probably the most expensive thing I bought this month. And it's from Clover Press and the Library of American Comics. It's Terry and the Pirates. The Master Collection, Volume 1. Of course, by Milton Kniff. And here's the pitch. The Library of American Comics and Clover Press are proud to publish Terry and the Pirates, The Master Collection, reproduced from Milton Kniff's personal set of color syndicate tabloid proofs that were unavailable for previous books. This series is the ultimate edition of Kniff's masterpiece. We present the Sundays in an unmatched color fidelity and larger than they have ever before been reprinted and unparalleled 
upgrade that no Terry fan can afford to pass up. Terry and the Pirates debuted in October 1934. For the next 12 years, Kniff would weave a spell of exotic adventure, sex appeal, and humor. The cartoonist set the strip in exotic China, where the historic events occurring in the region during the 1930s provided the raw material from which he blended fantasy and reality to create an extraordinary graphic narrative. The series introduces young Terry Lee, his adult pal Pat Ryan, their sidekick Connie, as well as an array of unforgettable brigands such as Captain Judas and Blaze, the two toughest women to ever sail on the China Seas, the alluring Burma and the inimitable Dragon Lady. No cartoonist has so heavily influenced his medium as has Milton Kniff, and no comic strip has had more imitators than Terry and the Pirates. Terry and the Pirates was read by 31 million newspaper subscribers between 1934 and 1946.、Uh, if you want to be specific, Vine One collects all the dailies and Sundays from the strips beginning on October 22, 1934 through the end of 1935 in a deluxe 192 page 11 by 14 hardcover. Yikes! I must have this. There's no way in hell I wouldn't have ordered this, right? The regular price on this thing is $120, which is justified by the material, but I don't really like to drop $120 on one item. That kind of pushes a lot of the stuff to the side for the month, but I splurged and I bought it because I didn't pay $120. I didn't. I paid only $84. That's 30% off. I can almost. $84? Yes, I can almost guarantee that you will not get this lower anywhere. Probably not even at Amazon. The thing I'm a little scared of, though, is that on the website, they say that there's 13 volumes. This says the complete strip will be collected in 12 deluxe 11 by 14 hardcover volumes. So I'm wondering if you subscribe to this whole series on their website. And I think you have to pay like $890 bucks in one shot. I'm thinking that they're giving you a bonus volume. I don't know what's in it or even if it exists, but I have to investigate this because if there's a 13th volume, I'm going to want to have find out how to get it, right? Without dumping $800 and whatever dollars. Because I want to use the DCBS. I'm saving 30%. Whatever. All right. Number two from Antarctic Press Spectrum Man Heroes number one. I'm very excited for this book. It's a five issue miniseries, story by Hiroshi Katatani, and the arts by Katatani and Matt Frank. And if you've been paying attention all these years, you know Matt Frank, huge Godzilla fan, Ultraman fan, Tokusatsu.、Uh, he did a lot of work for IDW's Godzilla books, and he's great. Antarctic Press, in conjunction with P Productions and Phase Six, is proud to announce Spectrum Man Heroes, a nostalgia blast of retro Japanese live action super beings. Each issue. Of Spectrum Man Heroes will showcase a nostalgia blast of retro. I already read that point.、Uh, so、yeah, they, they will showcase a different character in their own full length story with art by luminaries such as Matt Frank, who did Godzilla Legends, Hiroshi Katatani, which 
did Core Raptor for Antarctic, and David Ben Don. Ooh. Ninja High School. Yeah. In this issue, police agent Yutaka Daimon commands the mighty Electroid Zaborger riding its motorcycle mode into battle against the criminal Sigma Gang. I needs it. A um, little bit of information for you. Spectrum Man premiered in 1971. And Denjin Zaboga, which is Electroid Zaborger 7, premiered in 1974. Now, the cover price on this is $4.99. I don't blame him. Get an extra buck for it. But you're not going to pay that. DCBS price is, drumroll please, $2.49. That's 50% off. Now, I got a twofer on this last one because it's very important. These two books go together and they're on the same page. The first one is from Fantico Enterprises. It's Erie Publications, the complete covers, the whole bloody mess, written by Mike Howlett with art by various cover arts by Bill Alexander. And it says, shrieking at you from the newsstands like garish sideshow banners, the notorious Erie Publications magazines dared petrified comic readers of the 60s and 70s to look. With the promise of torture and gore, those covers burned themselves into the brain of everyone who saw them. Now, for the first time, we've collected every known cover from this putrid publisher and are presenting them chronologically, fully annotated and in full color. That last sentence translates to Vince cannot live without this book. Okay? Just so you know. The good, the bad, and the ugly, the whole bloody mess. Now, there's two flavors for this book. You can get a hardcover and a softcover. The hardcover is $59.95, and the softcover is $39.95, but you're not going to pay that. $41.97 for the hardcover and $27.97 for the softcover. That's 30% off each. And the reason why I'm doing a twofer is on the opposing side of the page from Feral House they're offering it again, The Weird World of Eerie Publications Hardcover. Written by Stephen Bissett and Mike Howlett, with art by Various. This has been out of print for a while and commanding stupid amounts of money. Eerie Publications horror magazines brought blood and bad taste to America's newsstands from 1965 through 1975. Ultra gory covers and bottom of the barrel production values lent an air of danger to every issue, daring you to purchase them. The weird world of eerie publications profiles Myron Fast. That's the guy to blame. The gun toting, megalomaniac publisher and editor Carl Burgos, who ground his axe against the entire comics industry. Now it's a 340 page hardcover. I have it, and it is gorgeous, indispensable, really. Thirty-two ninety-five, but you're not going to pay that. No, siree, Bob. You are going to pay twenty-four dollars and seventy-one cents. That's twenty-five percent off. DCBService.com does not mind late orders or order editions, and you get your books shipped right to their front door. They knock, they deliver, and then they run because they don't want to separate you from your comics for very long. So, they're thank you, uh, DCBService.com. Next installments of this will not be as lengthy. I wanted to read you the pitches before, you know, just to make you convince you that you need these. The next time, you're just going to hear it and the price and we're done. So you sure? Pay, I, mean, I, pay, I, was, I was ready to pack up. Pay damn attention. 
order that shit. It's a shame you get paid by the minute. I thought that was the whole episode. I'm not very often indulgent, but I had to do all that because these books, you got to order these books. Got to have it. And I had to actually pull the pages from the previews catalog because there's no information on DCBS's site for these books because of Diamond changing up their data array. Mm. I'm telling you, there's shenanigans going on. Shenanigans. I got to say, all three of those are not on my current list for the month. I'm not surprised. But that's unusual. It's unusual that I'm over your your call-outs. Not even the Kniff? Like you said, it's pricey. Okay, Mr. Omnibus. Uh, yeah. No, but that's the thing. Like, I don't... I have so many of those collected editions, and I never feel the impulse to read them. So I feel like that's something I'd be like, oh, I'm going to get that, and then it's just going to sit on my shelf, and I'm, I'm but, unless we um, make it a book of the month, I'm not going to read it. Right, uh, I, I understand. Most of the, um, the booze that you buy, isn't it... Haven't you already read the bulk of those stories at some point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this mm-hmm. would be so. This would be completely new. It would be. Mm-hmm. You saw the Mel Brooks movie where Moses was carrying the the three tablets, and he uh-huh. just drops one. History of the World Part Two. Yeah, mm-hmm. that third tablet that he dropped that was mm-hmm. Milton Kniff's Terry and the Pirates. <laughs> oh God! So there you go. Here you are. You got to get it. You heard it here first, everyone. All right. Drink roll call, people. I'm just drinking water. Mm-hmm. We 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 had far too much this weekend. We were so. indulgent. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I am drinking a delicious homemade iced coffee. Nice. Uh, I am uh, finishing a glass of um, blackened with a splash of soda, and I have a big-ass bottle of Poland Spring to follow that up with. Nice. So we hinted, and you knew we were there, if you uh, traipsed down over to our Patreon page this past weekend, patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics, you got to see and hear all of the stuff we did over the weekend. I don't know how many hours we we chucked up, but I would guess it's like maybe close to four hours of... uh, Audio and video? Does that sound right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, around there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Give or take, right? Pictures, um, a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, And it's going to continue to be free, which means anybody can go there and see what's up for the remainder of the month. So whatever shenanigans go on between now and the end of the month, you're going to get in on that too, if you go to the Patreon page. Last time you're going to hear it till the end of the show, patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics. So Jason had a good idea. He decided, you know what, let's not rehash all of it or the majority of it because um, they can go and listen to it for themselves and we won't uh, interfere with their enjoyment of this episode. But we do have to touch on a couple of things. For those who just don't want to go over to the Patreon page, um, I think, and I said it after day one, because day one I was a little doom and gloom. But uh, once I course corrected and put my optimism hat on, at the end of day four, which is Sunday, I can 
safely and, and confidently say that Emerald City was better than New York. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, New York was... Well, I think... I don't know how you guys are wired, but I know for me, a huge part of my my enjoyment of any experience is driven by expectation. And I know that's not optimal, but it's just the way my brain works. So with New York, I knew that we would be hanging out for the first time, you know, for like an extended period since the pandemic. So I knew that was going to be great. And I expected, I had almost no expectation in terms of the art hustle. I, we knew well ahead of time that none of the, publishers were going to be there you know none of the like tchotchke like the funcos like it was going to be a, a a fairly sparse um setup right and 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 so i really the only goal that weekend for me was to hang out with jaw and then anything else was gravy and and so i think from that vantage i came out of new york really happy because because we spent a lot of great time together and I didn't have any other hopes for it. Whereas with Emerald City, because it was our first Emerald City, and since we started the show 13 years ago, we've been told incessantly, hey, y'all got it. Make Emerald City a part of your rotation because it's it's the, the perfect West Coast con for y'all because it's art-centric and it's medium-sized and a ton of people are there and if they treat their artists well so they always get great guests and and you really do need to check it out if you can and so we we thought uh or i shouldn't say we i thought that um because it was going to be in december of 2021 that uh once we once the vaccine started rolling early this year and once it looked like the travel bans were going to be lifted i thought okay well there's a good chance that emerald city is the first con where people are back like the first con that feels like a real con you know well attended tons of guests tons of creators just gonna it's it's gonna be almost like popping the, the champagne bottle welcome back um so from that vantage it wasn't that it was far from that you know so uh i guess i'm taking a long-winded way of, of answering your question which is say I, I don't know that i could say it was better than new york for me on some levels but in terms of overall enjoyment it definitely was and that's mainly because New York, we didn't see many people even outside of a few run-ins. Uh, so it was the three of us. But this time it was the three of us plus four of our other homies. Plus, we did get to connect with a bunch of West Coast EOCers, um, you know, including uh, some people I'm sure we'll mention more specifically, um, which was amazing, you know. And, and so I think absent, like if I can separate out what was or wasn't going on inside the con... I still had an amazing time because we got to spend so much quality time, not just with the three of us, but with a lot of other people too. Right. Well, maybe my decision is based on the fact that we were told uh, beforehand, like, oh, Emerald City is the, is the bomb. And so it was highly touted. And then day one, I took a the lay of the land and I was like, this is what this um and and i i realized in hindsight it was a bad attitude because um don't 
anticipate, live in the moment. So take it for what it is, not for what you want it to be. And once I did that, I loosened up a little bit and I had a good time and I thought it was enough stuff there for uh, my appetite. Maybe the dealer's room wasn't as robust as I would want it to be, but we still got some good stuff, right? And maybe Artist Alley wasn't as tightly packed as New York City at, at its peak, but the people that were there were great and there was a a handful of legendary talents in that room. So I just, I, I thought I, I had a wonderful time. I think it needs to be said that, uh, and, and and I got this impression talking to a few people who have been to Emerald City in the past, and especially Andrew. Uh, for years when people were saying, yes, you should go out to Emerald City Comic Con, keep in mind this is pre read pops purchase of of the convention so i'm sure back then before the whole pop culture aspect of it was added that it may have felt more like uh a northwestern heroes uh than a new york light kind of event and and i say light only because this was our first and yes we were following a pandemic and um i don't think it was at its glorious it was it was because even i mean there were multiple levels and and normally i think they usually only have it on two floors but they 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 had they they expanded for the convention center to to give people um some social distancing room uh so yeah i i um i'm i'm glad we were there I'm, i'm i'm glad we finally went to emerald city um i had a blast i think you know, we made lemonade, if, if if you want to say that. I'm not. There's there wasn't anything. I like Vince said he was he was a little dour, but at, at the start. Um, but once because we did we we, I think we all kind of put expectations on it that uh, it was unfair. But uh, once we saw what we had in front of us, um, we were able to pivot and and. Uh, make the most of it i i mean jason had had a great art filled weekend um vince and i came home with some book um and again you know unfortunately a lot of the dealers were, were pricing their stuff because they just wanted to bring it back home i guess but it was uh there was still some things to be found and what i really like is that there's a uh, which which i don't do this in new york but there was a whole section in in the um in the back corner of like local artisans and and local creators, and I don't just mean comic book creators. I mean whether they uh, they were woodworkers or glass blowers or they made whatever. Um, there were uh, it was almost like it was kind of uh, a, a high end flea market. Sounds kind of um, not all that great, but it was it was there there were things there that you wouldn't normally expect to see at a convention. Um, but it 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 added some local flair, which I, I appreciated. I thought that that was pretty neat. Um, but yeah, it was. It, it seems to have been well attended, um, and and we just we just had a blast because of who we were with and who we got to see. Uh, not not just creators, of course, but but uh, like Jason said, there were a few listeners that uh, that we met up with and hung out with, and there's there's this one guy who. Um, we've known 
who's who's heard our voices um longer than 11 o'clock comics and uh and 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 it was great to finally to finally meet him but uh yeah i'm not the only things i would that 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 puts a, a damper on it uh is probably just the the long ass cramp plane ride which that's not the convention's fault that's not anybody's fault that's just how you get there but it it definitely kind of um can color things coming and going yeah it knocks the crap out of you but um i bet you we wouldn't be saying that if we were like 20 years younger oh for sure yeah yeah well i don't worry about that but yeah to, to get uh back to the 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 uh artist alley there were there was one man in particular there that i was doing everything in my power to avoid just because um, I'm I'm more uh, willing to chat people up based on where they fall on my uh, my love list. The higher you fall, the less willing I am to speak with you. <laughs> just because I'm so nervous and tongue tied, and I don't want to go all Chris Farley on them. But um, long story short, Liam Sharp was there in the flesh big hulking man early man yeah and uh whenever we would walk by his table i would i would always come up with an excuse ah he's got people there let's just keep because we wanted to get a bumper from him we wanted to invite him to the show uh i love liam sharp's work and i always have and he uh i uh i have followed his career from the very beginning and i felt like i i grew in comics with liam sharp and i just respect the hell out of the man's talent and wish I had some of it. But so we'd walk by and be like, oh, he's with people. Let's just keep going. Jason, the one time said, there's nobody there. I said, yeah, he's drawing. Just let him draw. I'm just going to keep going. But uh, we did get to speak with Mr. Sharp. And he was awesome. And and we, we scheduled or we set up scheduling something. And we spoke with him, not at length, but, you know, enough for me. Got a bumper from him. And it was wonderful. But, man, I, I just... I, I I was on the the verge of losing it just because of who he is, and it's weird to to act that way because he's just a human being. He he wears a meat suit just like all of us, but not everybody can do what Liam Sharp does. That's for sure. It was a good a good couple of minutes there. Starstruck Vince's adorbs. Yeah, well, Truly. it doesn't happen often, but when it does, it it, it hits hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What else were was some of the noteworthy things we did? Oh, I'm glad I got to uh, chat a few minutes with uh, Mr. Doug Wagner, writer of such gems as uh, Plastic and the recently concluded Vinyl. Um, he is a very almost chill. He's, he's not, when you see him, you would never in a million years... Uh, think he was the type of person to write uh grisly stories about serial killers and uh and cults but um you're you're right i i half expected him to be in like a burlap sack gnawing on a femur you know but he was well dressed good looking dude just well spoken yeah he would never know that he's no. crazy as a bed bugger. <laughs> and, and he, I mean, he's, his, his table was next to, to bill mcguire's who who i was introduced to thanks to um 
Tristan and, and Jason this weekend. But uh, when I keep, I keep looking over and I, I, I was looking at, I didn't look really at the table, what he had available at the table. I just kept looking at the name and I'm like, I know that name. I know that name because we've we've mentioned that name on the show. And then I finally looked down at the table and I was like, "Motherfucker, you're an idiot." So I was, um, yeah. yeah, it was, it was great. And like with what we did with uh, with Liam, we uh, we also put some things in motion that um, yep you may be hearing, Mister Wagner on the show in the near future. Um, we got a lot of business done at the show. We really did, and yeah. I, I I'm glad we did because. We we, for obvious reasons, we kind of didn't at New York, but it was um, it was yeah it was I mean, we got we got bumpers one of which I'm sure you'll hear you've heard before this episode started but uh, but yeah we we definitely um, true that talked to some people and found out who they were and what they do and uh, and likewise we we told them who we are and what we do and. Um, and I'm I'm looking forward to things that uh, that are gonna come out of it next year. But it was, um, yeah, no, I I had an absolute blast. It was, um, it was, it was. I don't know. It was. It was. I don't want to say it was weird. It was just. It was. It was a convention that was. I mean, even Heroes is far from home. But there's still, you're still on the east coast still within your own time zone there's still it, it still feels close enough for listen if i just got in the car and i just drove all night i could be home it, it, you're kind of I, in, in seattle for me i'm like in the middle of nowhere and and of course the the time zone difference um calling home and things like that things aren't always uh lining up so it was weird it was just it it, it took me a little longer to uh to get my bearings but Seattle's a great city. Um, I thought, uh, and 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 welcoming. And like anybody, any story we went into, anybody we we interacted with, um, it 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 was, it was. Like I said it is a very friendly and and welcoming place. Whether you're inside the convention or uh, whether we're just out and about, walking around and 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 checking out the few sites we did. The, um, but I think I think Reed put on. A great show, uh, with, with what they could, I believe. Next year, it's in it's in August. I that that probably would um, Seattle during the warmer months. I wouldn't mind being in December. Is 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 chilly, and thankfully, it wasn't super wet, and it wasn't extremely freezing throughout the weekend. Um, so that uh, weather wise, it wasn't uncomfortable or anything like that. But it, the the con was, um, I really, I, I, looking back on it, a few days away from it, I really did have a good time. Jason, why don't you tell them about the dinner? The listener dinner. Yeah, I mean, we, we, um, we had a nice little group dinner with, uh, it was, uh, it was our core crew. It was, uh, it was the three of us, Vander, Cliff, Lowback and Mario, aka our Airbnb mates, and um, then we also had uh, Darren Helsel, who yep. was uh, hung out hard. He was he was he was a he was a trooper. He he hung out with us quite a bit over the weekend. Yep. Um, uh, new friend uh, KJ Eldridge, yep. who was actually tabling at the show. Yes. Yeah. 
um, that was our first time meeting him, and uh, none other than uh, the, the the infamous Jefferson Workman, who has been listening to you two uh, fools podcasts before our show even existed. The enlightened Jefferson Workman. Oh man, yeah, yeah. And, and and not to uh, not to pour salt on my man's wound, but Jay Gonzo also was was uh, there f- to to be a part of the dinner, but uh, he made an appearance. Uh, my man didn't have uh, his 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 uh, Vax app wasn't working, and he didn't have his paper backup, so they were like, "Nah, son." Uh, I felt so bad for him. Yeah, really it was rough. that's rough. Uh, technology biting you in the ass. But, yeah, uh, yeah. But that and was great, man. We had a long, leisurely dinner. It was good, we did good and food, yeah, good drinks. Closed the place out. Yep. Followed it up when we got back to our crib with these phenomenal fucking lemon squares, which I need that recipe. Um, yeah, that's that's big facts. Jefferson's gem. Uh, the um, no, the dinner was absolutely fantastic. We, and that's the other thing. I mean, we we tend we we lucked out meal wise, uh, especially that first night at the uh, at the pub. That's not quite a pub. Not not any sort of pub I'm familiar with. Um, kind of high end uh, eats, and and it was. Um, but it's I I just getting back to to that dinner that was one of those moments where um i'm makes me feel good about this little thing we do and and uh best goddamn brussels sprouts i ever ate hands down oh my god we we had like seattle's the town of brussels sprouts yeah because those were the best i ever ate as well i agree and then (laughs) at the air uh we had we ate at the, not the airport, but we Victor ate Tavern. Yeah, on Sunday at the on our on our leisurely uh, Sunday, we spent the three of us waiting to go to the airport, and those Brussels sprouts were off the chain too. Yep. Yeah, they were. It's like the place to be for the sprout, home of the Brussels. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got to meet Daniel Bryan. Yay! Hung around with him for a while. It was a it was a fun, extended, leisurely, great comics filled weekend. There is a. Uh, it's not not really. It's it's Darren's story to tell. Uh, but there was an absolute fantastic moment uh, involving Kevin Maguire art. And and all I will say is that um, it's unfortunate for the young lady that uh, that that Darren bought the art because. Um, she wouldn't have had to pay anything for it if if it was in my possession. Hmm. Yeah, um, maybe not in monetary <laughs> form. Yeah, but. And what's funny is I was telling I was, I was telling my wife that story, and and um, and when I got to that part about uh, him finding the piece, him 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 picking up the piece before I did, um, I got to that part about her not having to uh, worry about paying for it and, and and my wife was like well that was and that would have been the part of the story that you would have left off for me and i was like yeah you're right you're right but I, because it was someone else i could say that but yeah, yeah. It, i think that would have been the stipulation in the divorce proceedings <laughs> but anyway yeah uh, darren's just a filthy flipper that's all he is <laughs> seriously dirt merchant. <laughs> terrible hey, terrible hey, man not nah. mention and makes a profit yeah, no it was it's tabling i mean shit i mean <laughs> 
I was going to see if we can't do that. What's that game show or whatever it is there? You buy something and then you trade it for something more and you try and see how much you can make. Yes, yes. I don't know the name of it, but that, that would have been fun if if the chain continued. It's like, okay, I'm going to take this and buy this now and then I'm going to flip it over there for more. Like, uh, it's fun. But anyway, so yeah, ECCC in the books, 2021, yep. a great time was had. And uh, we'll probably do it again one of these years. Yeah. For sure, for sure. Especially if we if we once we get back to whatever nor- normal is now, and, and if we, I think we need a year or two of hearing from folks that it's back to what it was all those years they were telling us. We sure, had to go. yeah. But uh, you know, it definitely felt much like one of the cool things about going to C two E two is our peoples are there. You know, it was nice yeah. to at least for the first time, make uh, connections with peoples out there. And, uh, and, and again, I presume in future years, there'll be a lot more EOC faithful because it'll be a much bigger crowd and all that. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And, and b- before we do move on, I, I, I do have a short list of people I wanted to just shout out that we did, uh, we did interact with in some way. And you guys can add to this. Sure. Um, I mentioned Jay Gonzo was very gracious to us all weekend. Um, his, uh, his, his, Tabled right next to him, um, Tony Parker, very cool dude. Uh, got to chat with Stegman, who was uh, he and Donnie Cates were clearly the stars of the of the show. They were like the big names. They were the, the you know the folks that were at their table for like thirteen minutes for a giant signing, and then and then uh, and then nowhere to be found otherwise. But Great. somehow, some way, we did uh, we we did uh, run into Steggy before he was about to have a big signing and, and did chat him up a bit because we saw him at New York Comic Con as yeah. listeners know as well. It, it, what kind of wacky, crazy, off-kilter world is it where Stegman is a star? Like The what? star. Yeah, what's happening? The stars of that con, yeah. I just, right? I don't know. Yeah. Um, huge shout-out to Terry Dodson, who, um, you know, I've met before. We, we actually had the pleasure of moderating a panel with him at Heroes, but... Um, but he just was he he loved talking uh, to our crew. I mean, we had a couple really great conversations, and I felt bad at one point because there was like an hour long conversation we were having, and there was a huge line of people waiting to talk to him, and we kept trying to be like, nah, nah, and he's like, nah, you know, he was like, nah, we're, <laughs> he would you get the vibe that he was enjoying our conversation and wasn't in any rush to end it, and uh, that was pretty cool. And he actually did a few um, our our boys. Uh, Ever charming that they are able to finagle a few jam pieces from him, um, which which I was impressed with because I wouldn't even even I wouldn't have even attempted that in that situation. Um, so yeah, and he actually listens to the show not not on a every episode basis, but he uh, definitely is not a poser because he 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 mentioned the Lemire chat. He said he basically, I'm sure like many people, subscribes and then generally tunes into our um, our interviews more than 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 anything else. But he says he really thinks we do a great job with interviews, so that was nice to hear. Um, as you mentioned, Vince Liam Sharp, and um, you know, uh, not only a big bear of a man, but but managed to do a beautiful commission for me. So much love to him for that. The surprise, pleasant run-in of the weekend was seeing uh, Miss Christina Merkler. Yes, we yes. literally were walking through uh, the main floor, and we heard uh, a, a woman's voice calling our names, which is unusual. Normally, I would think it would be for me, right? But, right, of course. Yeah. And it was uh, Chris. It was Chris. Christina saw us from afar and heard her voices, and and sure enough, um, we didn't know she would be there, and she didn't know we would be there. But uh, I guess uh, she's always making moves, not faking moves. So she was there with uh, two of her senior lunar uh, employees, coworkers, 
And uh, it was nice that we only uh, we probably chatted with her for 10, 15 minutes, um, kind of as passersby. But it was still great to see her. I hadn't seen her in a couple of years. So that was great. Um, shout outs to uh, Mirka Andolfo, Chris Campagna, Daniel Govar, um, Bob McLeod. Um, double shout out to Mr. Kevin McGuire, because I, as you guys know, I, I, I was exchanging emails with him about possibly doing a commission. And I, I was getting the vibe that like, Dude was a little salty, a little Lowry's, and I couldn't have been more wrong. Dude was an absolute pleasure uh, the whole weekend, and uh, ended up even being talked into doing jam pieces. He he wasn't feeling the idea of the jams, but uh, but then he saw my cannonball run, and it, as 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 fate would have it, he loves Roger Moore, and uh, and so he drew a Roger Moore, and then that opened the floodgates. He did jams for the rest of our crew as well, and uh, was all smiles the whole weekend. So that was really neat. Um, I also loved getting to know Justin Greenwood, uh, another guy I'd love to have on the show at some point when he has something big to, he wants to tout super, super accommodating all weekend, fun to talk to just in general, uh, definitely someone I could see us becoming fast friends with. And he was sitting next to, uh, a Dave Twanch who's goes all the way back to the CGS days when we were all hanging out with that in that, in that ecosystem. Um, a meta indie creator named Tess Stone. Uh, at the show, uh, they were first of all they are very talented. Second of all, uh, very accommodating um, as well with with their time and artistic talents. Um, Jay Lee, always nice to see, and I got to give him an extra special shout out because, as much as I love Jay's work uh, and he's very self effacing, Jay is notorious for taking on more than he can chew at a convention and uh, going in full full uh, eyes wide open. Vander. Um, still commissioned him at the start of the show for a full-sized Colossus. And uh, we had Vander mentally prepared for it not maybe ever getting done. But to Jay's credit, not only did he have it done, he had it done early Saturday, and it was a masterpiece. Which is true of any time Jay actually gets something done, it's it's amazing. Um, Tell the story, because it's very funny. Which, uh, which, oh, um, oh, it been about the... the House of Slaughter. Yes, I mean, um, yeah. uh, something is killing children. Right. Yeah. So, so at Jay's <laughs> table, for those that aren't aware, um, Jay does a ton of covers, and um, Vince Shelton not quite often. He, he does a lot of dynamite covers, and he also has been doing um, the variant covers for Something Is Killing the Children, uh, many of which have featured the lead character Erica Slaughter. And I, when we were first saying hi to him at the show, I mentioned. That for my money, no one draws Erica Slaughter better, and that's no disrespect to Werther Deladera, who's the interior artist and co-creator, and I think he does a great job too. But I just think Jay Lee's Erica Slaughter is amazing, and um, Jay's buddy—I don't know if his buddy or his manager—I'm not sure who it was—but someone that was behind his table was in on the conversation too, and and said, "Oh, could you imagine if Jay drew some issues of of the series and uh, said maybe maybe like a two or three issue." spinoff or something or a, or a tie-in that would be awesome and of course all of us were family i was saying oh that would be awesome and then and then jay who again is very self-effacing he knows he has a reputation for being slow said well if i was the artist on something is killing the children we'd only be halfway through issue two we have to call it something is killing the child <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so props to him um also shout out to andrew chrisman who is uh, paolo's partner cadence uh, he was one of one of the only, if if not the only, uh, art rep that we deal with regularly was there. 
And he was there basically to handle Tula Lote's table, who was gracious enough to draw something for me. Um, uh, Albert Moy was there. Yeah, I don't count Albert because okay, no, Albert's... No, I mean, no, you're right. You're right, because I was going to say I don't count Albert because he's more of a dealer than a rep, but you're, I guess yeah, if you rep... I got you. If you re- but if you rep people like Bruce Tim and, and Jim Lee, it's hard to say you're not a rep. So so, so that's fair. Yeah, Albert Moy was there as well. Um, newcomer creator Tobias... Uh, Someone we see at every con, Heroes New York, and, and now this, uh, Kaylin Smith, uh, Marco Fiala, and uh, yeah, I think that's it. That's on my list of people that we uh, that we ran into, chatted with, got art from, etc. Dap and I, Dap and I had an extended conversation with John Gebbia, the artist of yes. of Dose, and you'll maybe hear about that in a few. Uh, but yeah, I think you covered all the bases. Uh, you didn't forget Gonzo because you said about it with him at the dinner. But yes, we we did spend a good amount of time chatting with with uh, Jay Gonzo. Always a pleasure. It was great. Yeah, it was really fun, man. And and it was good to recharge the batteries and see friends. And we we laughed our asses off all weekend. And Airbnb was tight and right. And we really it was a really good vibe. But the seven of us, everybody got along. Everyone was very easygoing. There was yeah. there was no hemming and hawing about. Uh, where's this person or what are we going to do or why aren't they hanging it was just everyone did their own thing and we all got together and hung out for every meal and 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 after hours and it was it was truly terrific one of the definitely a major plus was how well everybody got along yep no drama great no great drama stuff. no boat rocking no yeah. more drama like mary J. yep and um at the uh i mean i and i really really like the uh the crib the, the airbnb was it was a really nice setup. It wasn't too far from the convention center. Um, short ride, which of course you get to see some sights, some things you may not <laughs> want to particularly see, but it, it is what it is. Um, it's uh, um, and and there is there it, unlike Charlotte, which is a banker's town and kind of shuts down on the weekend, except for the some of the eateries. There are things to do and see. Um, and and for the most part, I mean, as long as you feel like walking a couple of city blocks, everything is pretty much near the convention center for anything we really um, wanted to do. Uh, shout out to Uncle Ike's, and we um, we just yeah, no, like you guys said, it was it was, it was a really great crew. I'd um, I'd ride with any of you fools anytime, and um, and I'm just you know I'm 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 glad I found some world's finest dollar issues that that was i know vince vince didn't get any of the fem force didn't find anything ac related really no that's okay um, though i got i got good runs i got uh grabbing some amazing man and uh the old air cell series cat and mouse by man and bird and um and i've got some things to uh i got some things to read i also have the book of the month list for december to put together but yeah i've got some things i want to read nice so, let us move on. Bit adieu to Emerald City until we meet again. And uh, there's there's something we we must cover. Somber topic. A little bit, yeah. Um, longtime comic fans know that uh, George Perez has um, what about a year ago announced he was pretty much retiring, at least from in. From convention appearances and the like 
his eyesight had been giving him trouble for a long time. I mean, many years. I think one of the first times I ever met him, he had remarked that his eyes were having trouble, and I think it's related to uh, to diabetes. And I guess it had gotten to the point where he he just couldn't uh, he couldn't do cons anymore. So um, he had to have a bit of a victory, to, sort of a final victory tour. Uh, what maybe just before the pandemic, the year before the pandemic, I guess. Yeah. So I guess it's been two. It's been more than almost two years that he hasn't done cons, but. Um, but uh, he he you know he unfortunately um, put out a really a, a beautiful letter and it, it speaks to the character of the man um, that he he shared in, in lots of outlets and it's it's gone all around now it's it's been everywhere from CNN to the Hollywood Reporter to everywhere but uh, but in essence he he announced that uh, he was uh, diagnosed recently with uh, with stage three pancreatic cancer and uh, the doctors have given him. Uh, six months to a year to live, and uh, he has chosen, uh, along with his his wife and family, he has opted to uh, to to not undergo any treatment that that may extend his life, but but create lots of cost and complexity, and 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 he was, you know, the quality of life would have been in question. So, he's essentially going to spend the next six to twelve months with friends and family and fans, um, just basically living out what what remains of his time in a as best a way as he possibly can. And, uh, you know, uh, certainly we are, um, byproduct of doing this long enough. And, and, and it, it, we have had many an episode where we've talked to or paid homage to creators who have passed away. And, uh, this is a bit different cause George is still with us. And, um, uh, but, but obviously the, the, the clock is ticking per his own declaration. So, um, it just didn't feel like it would be right to not, address address the man and like wait for him to pass away because uh it's we are prone to hyperbole on the show <laughs> uh all of us in our own way but i don't think it's hyperbole to say that that perez is one of the most important artists ever and and in particular for people of our generation um i i, I would say that he if you're a superhero fan uh, of a certain age he is on a very short list, if not at the top of the definitive artist um, of superhero comics. And uh, I don't think we can uh, overstate the role and value that he played in this hobby that we uh, have so lovingly obsessed over for many decades. And what a big part of our obsession was, was his contributions. Yeah, I think that's very true. Coming up, I wasn't a DC fan, um, at least not initially, and George was at Marvel, and um, I figured that the question of of our first exposure to uh, George's work would come up, and the amazing thing is, uh, while it was a Marvel book, there were two that he produced that month. And I'm talking about November 1975, where he penciled Fantastic Four 164 and Avengers 141. Now, since I wasn't a huge Avengers mark back then, chances are very, very good that my first exposure to George Perez was Fantastic Four 164. Um, I mean, I have both of those issues, but I probably... I definitely bought 164 off the rack. And I can remember just 
being astounded at the, the level of detail, and he continued to do that over the course of his career, where he would just infuse the page with way more characters and atmospheres and incidents and and uh, non-essentials that I ever thought was possible by a human being to to just invest that much of himself into the work like the Teen Titans stuff is ridiculous just it, it's just an explosion of intricate precision detail and I, I uh, his technical skill like I, I normally don't grad gravitate towards the the realists um, but George had something that separated him from those the guys and gals that just love to go hyper detailed just for the sake of it. George wasn't that. I think that was George's. That was the language of his mind, right? He just thought like the one thing we always joke about. And if you go back and you listen to all of the episodes, more than once, uh, probably more than ten times, I've mentioned the detail in the curls of Scarlet Witch's hair. Right? From his, from his, uh, the, especially the Busick, uh, Avengers run was, what was that, mid 90s, late 90s? Where he late would, 90s. yeah, he would just go crazy on, on the, her hair. Every curl was, was beautifully delineated. And I'm like, wow, that is a lot of work. But that was George, right? It's all a lot of work, and it was all that very unique, very specialized Perez language that I think just mesmerized all of us. He was a cut above, or he is a cut above, sorry. Uh, for me, um, it was, it's, there were, George was D.C., John Byrne was Marvel, and and I, it blew my mind when I found an issue of um, of Avengers with uh, it was a George Perez cover. It was um, Quicksilver and, and Scarlet Witch. They were uh, going to go to uh, Wondagore, and uh, and the interiors were were John Byrne, and, I, and it blew my mind. I was like, holy shit! Like, two of my favorite artists, like and and um, but George is a DC guy, and it was it was one of those things where. Um, I, I became familiar with George Perez in the pages of Justice League of America and, of course, the new Teen Titans. And then it wasn't until my aunt would uh, get the books from um, all, all those flea market finds and there were um, Perez-drawn Marvel issues inside some of the bags every once in a while. So I knew, you know, after reading interviews and things like that, and, and there's 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 one indie magazine um i know i have it around here somewhere and it was it, it was there was a unfortunately it was a two-part interview so i never read the second part but uh i of course knew that george had done work for marvel whether it was you know since the tigers or or um fantastic four and of course adventures um but there was and because that's where he kind of got his start of course it was it was more raw it wasn't the the perez that that I would eventually that I that I knew from Titans or Christ Center for Nerds, um, and I just was I pretty much from day one. Um, I you know I 
followed him to the Wonder Woman reboot. And, uh, I mean, History of the DC Universe came up over the weekend. Um, cause that's, that's a favorite of Cliff's and mine. Uh, but it's definitely of its time. It, it, it might, uh, someone would read that today and just, it's pretty, but they wouldn't get the, they most likely wouldn't get the context, but the, um, there wasn't anything. I, I, I followed him wherever he was. He, he was one of the first for me at, for a time, the only, but he was the first like uh comic book artist superstar that uh, I just, I, I saw his work. I knew it immediately. Um, but he drew books that I just because he worked with Marv on the Teen Titans, because he he he's he, he worked with Busiek on the Avengers, and he's he uh, it wasn't just the art that brought me that kept me along for for, for the ride. He he was drawing stories, he was drawing books with stories that I actually wanted to read. I I couldn't go without an issue of the new Teen Titans. There's so many covers from his run that are just burned into my brain and there. And, and it took me a lot. There's one cover. It's, it's, um, it's in the thirties and, and it's, uh, it's Deathstroke has returned and, and, and it's basically, he's, he's machine gunning a, uh, a picture of, of the Titans and he's behind them. So the bullets are going through them from behind, but everybody is, um, Everybody's getting like blown to smithereens in in this stock photo, if you want. And but Kid Flash isn't because he isn't on the team at this point, and the bullets are also missing Terra. And 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 it took me a long time to realize it's like holy shit, there's like an extra there's extra layers to to just this simple cover. And and it does and, and even his his covers are extremely detailed. Is that the Trident or? Uh, even when we get to the Judas contract, and I mean, he he, he co-creates Terry. Here's a character who just fucks around with rocks. My man's got to draw like every single little pebble and rock, and it's like, why would he do this to himself? But he makes everything look so damn good. And of course, you got the Grayson with his quaff do, and 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 like Vince just said with Scarlet Witch, like every strand. And same thing with Corey. You know, he draws Starfire, and 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 with her intricate costume with the, with the, with with the the neck wear and everything all the little scrolls and whatnot he just there was no phoning it in he he gave it 110 percent every single time and he did it the flawlessly like there was just uh, i'm sure other artists would be sweating over trying to mimic the detail i mean hats off to phil jimenez because he's he's basically the second coming of uh, perez but it's um i just whether he's He's uh, I, I really, really like when he inks other people because you definitely see he's not heavy handed, but when he does inking, he he uh, he does embellish and give a little bit more detail than uh, than if someone else were to um, ink that same pencil piece. But yeah, I um, it's. He's still with us, so I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm happy, um, and I. I don't. Uh, I'm not looking forward to to any upcoming news, but I am. Um, 
I'm extremely glad that uh, I have things on my shelf that that just bring me joy because he drew them and and um, I owe a lot of me being a comic book fan to to the work George did. There, there's there's no doubt about it. I mean, I'd, I'd be a comic book fan, but I wouldn't have the um, I probably wouldn't care as much about the people who who tell these stories and 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 um he was somebody that I just had to take notice of and I am so glad he put pencil to paper and and brought me so much joy over the years. Yeah that's the thing, right? The um social media outpouring has been enormous. Yeah. Everybody just uh, dropping information on, you know, uh, their encounters with George or photos with George or their Perez books. Uh, and that's great. It's how people process. I, I understand it. I, I get it. But the uh, the one that almost bowled me over was, of course, Marv Wolfman's. I almost okay. couldn't. Yeah. I didn't see it. I almost couldn't read it. It was mm. too painful. Yeah. I am. But, I mean, if there's anybody that's inextricably linked with George, it's Marv. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And just to hear this guy not lament or or rail at the heavens, just like, thanks, George, for allowing me to be your friend. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and I'm, I'm selfishly, I, I am very glad. I I, um, I stopped him at, at C2E2 in 2019 and, and got a photo with him. Yeah, that was great. I took that picture, thank, didn't I? Thank you for taking that picture. Yeah, yes. yeah. He was a prince. And, I, and he's a warrior. Yeah, he's a warrior for going out the way he wants to. 100%. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, talk about going out with Grace. I mean, I would encourage anyone who hasn't uh, read his, his, his missive to do so. But he even mentions in there that, like, He's advised, he's advised his business manager to immediately refund all of the commissions yep. that were prepaid for. And, like, it's like, you know, I mean, God's forbid that I, I'm ever in the situation he's in. Because keep in mind, he, for those that don't realize, he, he's a young man. He's 67. I mean, this isn't – he's not like one of the, you know, Silver Age guys who have lived a long, long life and, and it's, it's coming to its natural end. I mean, you know, 67 is younger than my dad, you know, so um, – but like the idea that he'd be giving any thought to the fans or like refunding their <laughs> their commission dollars is just incredible to me. Like he just found that he's you know got terminal cancer. It's it just speaks to how he really you know there are a few creators that that I think genuinely loved and embraced the fandom uh, in the way that he always did. Um, you know he was such a fixture on the con circuit and. Uh, unlike unlike Dap, I mean, I, I I wasn't a DC guy, so um, I, I I was I certainly was very aware of Perez. How could you not be? Because he was especially with with the Titans and all of that, and then and then Crisis. But but I I wasn't a reader. It was more from afar of knowing who he was, um, you know. And I I did eventually certainly read his older Avengers issues, and then obviously his his run with Busick was. Uh, I was on as it was coming out, so that was probably my first direct experience with his work. But, um, but but subsequent to that, I think 
you know, I've gone back and, and, and read a lot of his Teen Titans and, and, and obviously Crisis many times. And, um, and, and for me, JLA Avengers is, is, is a hallmark because, because as, as a, as an art nerd and no hot moon nerd, I mean, seeing all of those characters rendered together on these pages in such meticulous detail is just, just got there. There are so, there are not many artists who you can say were born to draw a book, but George, absolutely. I, I mean, I remember when comics journal and, and, and there were, there were unpublished penciled pages from the original story that had started that, uh, that, that the publishers ended up getting cold feet on and never happened. Um, George was working for cross gen at the time and the publisher, uh, just, I'm blanking on his name right now. Alisi, Mark Alisi. When, when the publisher, the publisher actually, because you had a bullpen and basically had to report to work cross gen, had everybody working there. But, um, George was able to, take the time off from his cross-gen commitments to work on the JLA Avengers event. And, um, and it just, it, 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 nobody else could have drawn that. It just, it, it, it is, it's, it's a great piece of work. Um, and it's, it's something that, uh, he absolutely should have, should have drawn, no doubt about it. Yeah. Well, anybody could have drawn it, but nobody would have made it the, event that it became right that 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 pairing is is infused in george's dna yeah yeah anybody could have drawn it but not not nearly as well yeah he's the only one who should have drawn it yeah exactly right right i i was not a, a a devotee of of teen titans initially i think i came in around judas contract just because the covers were so striking but once I decoded the magic, right, and and allowed it to do its its work, I, I went back and you know completed the series, and then I followed him to Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman was ridiculous. It was I I was so surprised that I was buying a Wonder Woman book. Why am I reading this? I the, the, the proof is in the pudding. This is why because the art is fantastic, and then I eventually warmed up to to diana and and you know dc in general but like jason marvel fan initially but george was one of the lures away george and uh, of course john john byrne but mm-hmm. yeah just yeah um, i i i hope his time he he expends it the way he chooses and he's comfortable and happy and yeah we owe george a lot so keep those social media posts coming because he mentioned that you know he hasn't had time to wade through all of them, but the ones he did, he's just he's awestruck at the outpouring of uh, admiration, respect, love, all that stuff that uh, that people just feel for George because he's that kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We salute you. Hell yeah! Fly that flag. All right, so let's round it back into some into some goodness. You alluded earlier that uh, you and Depp, uh, in your meandering through the artist alley, came across a gentleman who was uh, backing a creator-owned project. And uh, 
you were so excited by it that you called me over to take a gander as well. Yeah, I said, you got to get this. Mm-hmm. The man in question is John Gebbia. He's the artist. The story is written by Sean Ellis. The book is published by Drew Ford's It's Alive, and it's called Dose with an exclamation point. I almost want to cap all the letters, too. So capital Dose! Exclamation point. And uh, we bought the existing three issues. And we were also served up a little ash can-like sampler of what's to come in issue four. Without the pitch, didn't need to see the pi- or hear the pitch because John made with the pitch whenever possible, and it's 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 an involved pitch because the book is very involved. Um, but at the heart, it's an insanely messed up tale of a society that is that that clings to drug use. Seems like everybody and their brothers doing drugs, and that's. That's a cool premise, but it speaks to a, a a larger malady. Like, what's going on with this world where most of your population needs to retreat into fantasy land? Well, it's not exactly a great place in which to live. It's it's. Uh, I think Gebbia and Ellis themselves tout it as, "What if the Silver Age went horribly, horribly wrong?" Like, there's metahumans everywhere. There are kaiju traipsing the streets, not giant monsters, but kaiju in in relatively human proportions, um, such as they are. And uh, so there's superheroes, there's there's terrorist villains, and the uh, city that we uh, see is, is just immersed in the media scrawl. Social media, televised media, there's a uh, an information network that's just pumping maybe disinformation uh probably in, into the brains of of the society it it's a very it's a very dystopian um environment let's just say and nestled in that is a former superhero and he goes by the the name screwworm was a member of a group called the pain teens and uh the worm is constantly looking to escape. He wants drugs all the time. He's dirty, disheveled. His his apartment is a mess. He's he's not lacks initiative, uh, doesn't have a job, but just still the the carrot on the end of the stick for old screw worm is drugs. And like Booster Gold before him, Screw Worm has a robotic um buddy named Sonny Boy. Skeet, skeet, skeet. Yeah. Uh, it's a little little flying robot. The smart Alec, wisecracking, calls him, you know, shithead, asshole, stuff like that. Um, and uh, he, he basically tells Screwworm, like, get the hell out of bed. Go find some kind of work. Just go just go do something. You you need to join the human race and get a job and, and, and support yourself and... Uh, Screw him, just, he just wants drugs. So, uh, long story, relatively short, he goes to a, a, a club, like a, a rave type, type scene, where there's this um, guy named the White Menace. 
and uh, he's he's policing the dance floor. No drugs on the dance floor. And I'm like, why no drugs on the dance floor? What could be, you know, that's the environment. Why why would you, you stipulate no drugs? It's because the performer, uh, a lady named Medicate, she has the, uh, the metahuman ability to excrete a substance that everyone in the vicinity uh, will get high on. They'll, they'll, they'll trip. And Sonny Boy rushes the stage at one point and sticks his her finger in his mouth. She's like one of those those frogs that excrete the hallucinogens. Like if you lick the the back of a certain uh, frog, you'll you'll trip balls. Well, this this woman is in the same you know um, mold, but uh, when she does her thing. Uh, she's very attractive, but when she does her thing, like her skin turns, it looks like it turns scaly or something, or or, or potted and mottled, and and uh, it's just it's not it's not a great scene because as um, the the crowd is is tripping balls, an assassin enters the club, and this guy's really well. I don't know if it's a guy. This person is really cool because they have these Doc Ock like appendages that unleash the like the carapace comes off the ends of them and there's a needle in there and they just jabbing people and if he jab if they jab you you explode like white menace gets tagged and his guts just bleh, they burst out of his body and there's intestines and blood and everything people are just exploding and Sonny Boy's tripping his ass off, so he doesn't know if it's—he doesn't even know if it's real. He just knows he, people start running and screaming, and he, and he needs to get out of there. So he—he he runs down an alleyway, and and this story takes another turn. Uh, he's abducted by a, a former—I um, don't want to say friend because it doesn't look like they were too friendly based on the way they were talking, but. Um, someone he knows from his past, a, a lady named Kadora, and she has her own little skeet named Lulu, a feminine robot that flies around. And Sonny Boy wakes up, and he's got a cube helmet uh, around his head that's preventing him from from seeing, and he's chained naked to this device, and and. Uh, Kadora starts beating the shit out of him, just, and he she almost takes a chainsaw to him. But uh, then that's it's revealed that Sunny Boy's power is his meta power is when he it kicks in when he feels pain. That's what's happening here, and the two uh, they fight and punch each other and beat each other up, and they eventually um, almost do the nasty. Uh, but this is a, it's a very, very weird, very strange, uh, civilization going on here. There's a, there's someone, some group called the Prophets. And, uh, the, the mouthpiece for the Prophets is this guy named Guillotine 2. That's his name. Guillotine 2 is big ass burly man with double, um, bladed axes. He's got two of them. He's a giant beast of a man. And he's in negotiations with with Medicaid and uh, White Menace before the the murder. Um, and the 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 person that um, facilitates this meeting, they're not even in the same room. They meet in the astral plane. 
this this woman named Silence, who's apparently the emissary of the prophets, taps into the consciousness of both Guillotine Two, who's location A, and White Menace and Medicate, who are in location B. I just got it. I'm so stupid. Medicate. Okay. Um, in a different location, and and she's like the the gateway between the various brains. It's really neat. It's it's exceptionally well done. Psychedelic as hell, duh. But um, it's it's just a cool multi layered freak ass book. The the one part I laughed out loud. The prof or um, guillotine two is corralling all the groups under his uh, purview, and there's. A society of evil, and they're all Satanists. There's a group called the Feminazis. Obviously, it speaks for itself, right? But there's a group of kaiju. <laughs> Did you guys get this? Probably not, because you've never. I bet you've never seen the show. They're the the progenitor of the Tokusatsu Japanese special effects show it was called Ultra Q. It was the thing that led to Ultraman. It was the first show. It was in black and white. And the characters depicted in that panel are all kaiju from Ultra Q. Oh, okay. You got, oh, Ga- I mean, yeah, Garamond's there, uh, Pegula, and the Cicada Men. And I'm like, holy shit, they, they're speaking the language. These They're not just throwing in random-ass kaiju. If you're going to call it Ultra Q, you better have beasts from that show. And they did. They It was so great. But that, you know, it's an inside joke, you know. Uh, obviously, you need to be initiated into that whole world to even get that panel. But holy crap, that was just like the icing on the cake for me. I loved it. I thought, would, I don't know what you guys thought because you have yet to speak on it, but I thought the book was great. It's silly and dirty and sexy and, and revels in, in substance abuse. Pretty much everything I enjoy, right? So it's, it makes a beeline right from my heart. But what did you guys think? Are you going to speak? Yes. Uh, I dug it a lot, and and I did. Um, I did request cover B from uh, from DCBS since the November orders are over, um, because I do want to see where we go. It does. I felt um, this is one of those cases where I felt like the first the first two issues could have been one double sized issue because it kind of doesn't for me it doesn't really start picking up until until the third issue um now the first issue is a cool setup where we were introduced to our hero and uh and and hijinks ensue from there the second issue of course is the fallout from that but uh the third is where we kind of really start to get a feel for for this world and um and all the kind of crap these people are going through um but yeah, no, I I dug it a ton. I, I didn't know what to expect. I really like the art. Um that's kind of what uh what sold me on. Parts of it reminds me of uh the hell is that um Johnny Paradox. There's one of those one of the, the, the there's there, there's a um the, the the art just kind of transported me back to um 
indie work from from uh, the mid to late '80s, which which I just kind of dug, and um, I the concept the the story itself is neat, but for me, um, I'm really kind of grooving on the art, and and I mean we've got we've got uh, board balloons with thought bubbles on uh, on the covers. We've got um, we've just I I know that. Uh, I believe the first. I believe that the first trade will have the first five issues. Um, even though uh, John is hoping he was pushing to do the first six. Uh, no, no, I th- no. He wanted the first five, so this way it'll be out sooner. Um, but I believe the trade will be the first six issues because that's kind of a good stopping point for uh, for the story. Um, John just really wants a graphic novel with his name on it on the shelf. So the sooner that happens, the better for him. But, um, but he, he, uh, and he gave us sketches when we picked up the books and, and, and the sketches were really cool and creepy. And I believe, uh, mine is still in, um, both of ours are still in Jason's portfolio. Um, along with one of my Lobos, but we, um, yeah, I, I, I missed this in previews when we saw John's table and, um, Vince brought me over to it. Uh, that's kind of where where I was hooked. I I, um, I didn't read the fourth issue preview. Um, it's, it's what the first just the first couple pages, but it's um, but I really like the art that I'm seeing in it, and uh, and yeah, I I, I really once um, once we get another couple of issues, I I would like to. Um, Told to John about this because this was um, this was neat. I had no, I didn't know what to expect, and and I really, really, um, am grooving to it. So I I, I got to thank you, Vince, for um, for making me aware of it. Yeah, the kaiju sex got me. That wasn't I my favorite part, but it man, was. I know I I didn't need to bring home a t-shirt, but yeah, the kaiju sex definitely. And even I mean, and, and that cover is great, and and all the covers have a um. All these just have variant covers, so um, we just grabbed the ones that uh, that I think we kind of. Uh, they were all cool. They're just there's just something about each of them that kind of just tilted it over the edge that uh, made me get the ones that I got. But um, I, I I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, there's just one scene. I'm talking to the listeners where uh, Screwworm is is you know traveling the streets. And he encounters these disgusting kaiju. They look like some kind of a reptilian, like like maybe a, a Komodo dragon uh, mixed with a woman, uh, like a female body type. And and she's propositioning him. And he, the the word balloons are great because the the typography is all affected. It's drippy and 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 really nicely done. But uh, she's like, "Come on, I can, I can switch genders and grow two dicks." And he's just like, "Well, I don't know, maybe I'll, I'll think about it." Jeez. <laughs> oh, uh, but the the real laugh out loud minute, moment for me was when uh, Kadora and Screwworm are are in the in the thick of things, and they they get high, and the the way they get high is with a drug called Float. And unfortunately for for Screwworm, the device is administered as a suppository. So, yes. so Kadora just like jams it up his ass. It's like, ah! 
<laughs> that is gold, man. You just, you can't. It, it's worth the price of admission, right there. You know, she's a freak, man. Oh I yeah, her a lot. Yeah, yeah she's nuts. Yeah, but uh, the question remains: Who is the assassin? Um, and there's a cliffhanger at the end of issue three, too. Um, maybe related to the assassin, maybe not. We'll see. But yeah, he they they got me. Um, I'm in. I'm in. I and I'm so stupid. I saw it in previews when Dose Number One was solicited. I'm like, wow, that. And I from the the cover art with um the the cover with Screwworm just walking the city streets and asking, wondering if he's you know over self medicating. I swear it looked like a Spain cover. There there's a there's a little bit of a more than a little bit of a Spain vibe going on. But the interiors, they don't resemble Spain's work all, all that much. It's just intense, intensely detailed cityscapes. Like, everything is rendered. There's no lowball in here at all on Gebbia's part. Like, all of the, the creatures are magnificently drawn. It's just the, the world is fully visualized. There's, there's no question um, at all about where you are and just how downbeat and disturbing this place is. Yeah, it's wonderful. But uh, I've yet to hear from Jason. I love it when my booze love comics. Mm. I knew that was going to happen. I knew it. I knew it. I'd like to be surprised, but I knew it. Um, there you go. Cool. Like your mama said, right? <laughs> there will be oh. days like these. That's right. Yeah, that's what she said. So what else did you read, Jason? Dude, I read a lot. Well, tell us about it. I read so much. You um, caught up on no. Okay. No. Um, I will say that... Uh, the thing that I was most impressed with uh, in the last week or so of reading was catching up on Sword. Uh, I know Vince sung Sword's praises early in its run. We haven't talked about it recently. And I gotta say, the, the series was done no favors because like right out of the gates after the first few issues, it gets pulled into the Fakakta uh, Absolute Carnage Null uh, uh, event where you know Null takes over the Earth, and I hate that. Like I understand why it happens, but I hate when these books that are telling their own story haven't even finished a, one fucking arc, and they get pulled into an event. And that's why I just let the issues pile up because I love the premise. I mean, we all talked about the first two issues, and we love the premise. And what the what they established in Sword has played a massive role in the ongoing ex continuity since then right because because sword is the entity that they put in place to effectively make it possible to terraform mars which has been the driving narrative of the x world for the last year or so um but yeah but but that guy's like oh i don't i don't i don't need to read more null stories so i i just let it pile up but i i got back around to it uh in part because we're getting some pretty major changes and turnover in the mutant office here 
which we knew was coming because Hickman is winding his up. Uh, Inferno's got a few issues left, and then he's out. So we, we knew this was coming, but but they've made it official now and announced a bunch of new titles and a bunch of reboots and new creators and so forth and so on. So I thought, you know what, let me let me make sure I catch up with uh, with the books I've been buying, but uh, haven't you know, but I'm behind just to make sure I, I have clarity as to how I how I want to continue on when they when they do all the the shuffling of the chairs. Um, and I think Sword is is it's incredible because. Like the premise that we loved with Hickman, right, is that he he set up this this scenario where the mutants came up with something that was so viable to humanity that they were instantly they meaning the mutants and and Krakoa the nation were immediately thrust into mega power status and what that was is is essentially biotechnology, right? They created several drugs thanks to Krakoa that were in in vastly valuable to the human human species, you know, from from extending your life expectancy, occurring cancer, there were a bunch, right? And and so, needless to say, that that gave them a seat at the table that they otherwise wouldn't have had. Um, and then they go and they terraform uh, Mars, and they put uh, most of the residents of Araco there, as we know. And and that in of itself was was I mean that's what you you were gobsmacked by Vince was their ability to pull that off. And um, but but it, it goes from there. That's not the whole plan. The plan then continued because the sword crew, the thing that they were teleporting to acquire is this strange element called Mysterium. And as it turns out, much like they did with the drugs and the human populace, they are taking it to another level entirely where they've basically mined a lot of this Mysterium. And it has incredible properties. It's it's basically like adamantium on steroids. It's like the perfect conductor. You can make you can make computers that that never break down, that never run out of power, that have full computational skills. It's ten times as light as 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 any other metal in terms of uh, you can you know build ships with it that that are much faster and indestructible, so forth, so on. Lots of uses for it. And um, they basically approach the planetary council. The council, you know, you're You've got your your head of you've got Hulkling, who's the emperor of the Cree Cree Scroll. I mean the Cree Shiar. You've got uh, you've got uh, Star Lord, and, and uh, you've got the basically all the all the all the intergalactic leaders, the various and sundry. Um, they approach them and they say, "Hey, there's this thing we have called Mysterium, and it's super valuable and would change each of your constituent economies and worlds in meaningful ways, and we're going to give you a little taste." So we're going to send you all home. Thanks for coming to this meeting. We're going to send you all home with some. And uh, it's enough to change your your entire society and, and economy. But there's a lot more where that came from. And if you want more, we can talk. But the table stakes are, from here on out, you recognize Earth and all of the other parts of the planetary systems that orbit the sun as one unit called Sol, S-O-L. And from here on out, we are the representative to you. You don't fucks with the humans. You don't go to Earth. You want to deal with this this solar system, you deal with us. We are the liaison. So it's exactly like they did in the X-Books, where Hickman basically gave the same speech through Mag- Magneto and Charles to, to, the, to the leaders of the human race. 
they are now going into the fucking galaxy. And they all bow down. Um, well, most of them bow down. The only one that doesn't bow down is the Wakandan embassy. Because he's like, dude, we got our own shit. Like, we don't need you. Which is, like, perfectly well. Like, that's exactly how Wakanda is on Earth. So I love that, actually. That was a great touch. But everyone else bows down and says, yeah, man, we're in. And, uh, like, just the audacity, like, the grand vision of being able to not only now become a power on their own planet, but essentially to immediately stake claim to being one of the driving forces of interplanetary politics is freaking incredible. Uh, I mean, it's, it's just so high concept and it's wonderful. And then on top of that, there's all these really interesting little tendrils of stories. Um, you know, Abigail Brand's always been an interesting character. She's always working angles. And she's working angles right now that we're not quite fully aware of, although the issue that came out this week, number 10, does start getting, giving a little clarity there. But but she's constantly referencing how she's going to do some things that are going to really piss off the mutants, uh, the, the council. And uh, she, hopes she, un- she hopes they understand. I'm not sure quite what that is yet, although I'm getting a feeling for it now. Um, there's... Uh, there's just great interactions like I think we talked about this once before when because it happened in the first issue when Magneto goes up in the first issue to inspect how they're how they're doing and setting everything up um, he uh, Fabian Cortez is like you know who's one of his acolytes is like hey Magneto what's up and like Magneto doesn't remember him and he basically dismisses him out of hand but then he sees peepers fucking peepers <laughs> and he's like my man peepers what's up dog and uh, we get more of that later on like like Fabian Cortez basically tries to pull a power play where he uh you know the mutants have these laws now these these uh these laws that cannot be challenged and and law number two is is no murder and uh cortez is like i need to meet with the council so he meets with the council and and he says uh i'm gonna challenge that law i i I think that law is bullshit and he goes in this like long tangential sort of tail eating itself explanation of how if they can't use their powers to to clone or bring humans back like they do with mutants now because mutants are immortal then in essence humans are already dead and so how can you really commit murder if you're if something's already dead it's like this really ridiculous like circuitous logic right and they basically dismiss him out of hand and then he tries to pull this power play where he's like well you need me you know you better listen to me because i am vital to the you know to what's going on at the sword without my power amplification abilities you can't go and get more mysterium and so I'm essential, and if and if, and and you better listen to me. Like you better give me what I want. And they fucking beat him down. They're like, really? And boom, they bring in a new mutant, uh, and it's a mutant from Morocco. And this mutant is a power amplifier. And it's just a reminder to everybody that like this this is a like they're not just doing things on the fly here. Everything is meticulous. Like every member of the six, every member of the five. All the key players of the council, there are contingency plans in place for if they have to be replaced. And it's not just if they die, because, again, you can bring back anybody from death, at least if they die on in our earthly plane. Um, but it's if they need to be kicked out or exiled or they defect. You know, there are plans and contingency plans, and there are contingency plans on top of those and plans on top of those. Like, everything is well thought out. And it's uh, it's just fascinating and so meticulous. And, you know, as a process nerd you know, who lives in spreadsheets. Like, I just love this idea of, of every T being crossed and I being dotted in this society that they've created. And so with such boldness, um, now where this would probably lose Vince is another key part of the story has been, uh, the leader of Mars of Araco, uh, is, uh, is storm. Yes. 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 And, uh, you know, 
putting Vince's disdain for the character aside, um, you know, she is certainly qualified for the role, right? She has been a leader of of, of the X-Men on many occasions. She's also uh, was queen of Wakanda for a time. Um, and she's an Omega-level mutant. Um, we learn over the course of, of the Ten Issues of Sword, as we learn more about the Iraqo culture, that uh, they have a council of their own, and the council is, is nine members, rotational. And uh, it's mentioned that none of the in the thousands of histories, thousands of years of history of Morocco, no non-Omega level mutant has ever sat on their council, and so she's the leader. But remember, Morocco is a warlike society. They've they've basically been in a state of constant war for thousands of years, and so, like, to be the leader in the region of Morocco is a shit ass job, because she is challenged for the crown like every fucking day by somebody else, and she just goes at it she takes it to him every time but like i was just thinking as i'm reading it's like how exhausting would that be like it felt like pretty like it was a, a title of honor to put her in charge at first but then i'm thinking like this is like a punishment man like every goddamn day she can't just have a day off and like netflix and chill she's gonna like fight to the death every day to keep her job like that's annoying but she seems to be fine with it so it is what it is you know come see come saw but uh yeah this is really like a book that outside of the x-men proper I would dare say is the most important book. I mean, because I know a lot of people came on board for, for the, for the Hickman events and then stuck around a little bit. And then they got overwhelmed because they expanded the title base to what, 12, 13 titles and people started losing their way. And I get that. And, and I know that every now and then people say, well, what, what do I have to read? Well, I would say you need to read X-Men. You need to read this. You need to read sword. Uh, it is, it is at this point, like absolutely central to what's been happening and what's about to happen. So um, the only nit I'll give it is that um, Valerio Skeety did the art uh, in the initial issues and it looks great, but then they moved him on to, uh, to Inferno, the current event, not event, but the current Hickman mini series that's wrapping up his run. Um, and he, you know, that's great for him. He definitely is, is of, of that caliber. But, but so the, the, the artists that have taken over sword subsequent to Skeety moving on have been lesser, you know, not, not, not like, oh no, lesser where it's a real problem, but, but they've, it's a noticeable drop off. And, and I, I wish that weren't the case. Like, I'd like to think that there are enough really, really talented artists out there that you don't have to have it just an okay person doing any of these books but we know it's big too and there are budgets and you know you're always trying to rotate new talent in so i get it um but uh that'd be the one nit but man oh man has this been a lot of fun um and it's a book that actually made me care about WizKid, which ain't easy so uh so I, I give this two huge thumbs up and would just say that for those of you that are lapsed but still curious about the mutant verse uh read inferno read x-men proper because duggan's off to a great start there and read this Interesting. Yeah. You're not going to read it. Cause no, I see that Cable's a part of the storyline now. Well, Cable's been a part. Remember, C- young, young Cable was the head of security for right. the for the ship. Um, and then in events that happened in the Cable series, he's now back to old Cable. Right, which I didn't read. So I didn't. No, nor have I. I haven't read it either. So right. I, I don't know why or how it happened. I just know that he's back to being old, grizzled Cable. Yeah. And I did uh, take a peek at issue 10, and you are 100% correct in your assessment of the uh, the drop-off in the art. 
For sure. Yeah. yeah. No, I, no I, I wouldn't stick with it if it continued to look like issue 10. Not, yeah, to, I mean, not to slight that person, but that's just not my speed. Yeah, it, it definitely delves into the generic superhero comic look. Right. Uh, which is a, a disservice. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful that you know, this artist doesn't continue on, but I, I, these, this artist has done the last two issues, so I don't. Right. I have no idea. I haven't looked. At the, I don't remember the solicits if, if this person continues on. So nice, Mr. Price. Do you have anything for us? I was drinking something. Uh, let's see. What the hell did I catch up on? I read the first issue of the uh, new Mark Miller and Mateo Scalera image limited series, King of Spies. Um, and it's it's a Mark Miller book, and and that's 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 not meant to be a slider by a hand compliment. It it's um there's there are um, there are things that Mark does that definitely make you can tell when he's writing a book, and this this is kind of um, it reminds me in in parts of um, the Kingsman. It's um, it is about a um, an old spy, Roland King, and um, and the bulk of the issue. At the start of the issue, um, we see Roland in action um, in uh, in 1990 in um, Panama City, and you know, Mateo is drawing people getting heads blown off and run over and falling off buildings and into ambulance roofs, and um, he's going just buck wild and and all out. I mean, it's it it's pedal to the metal soon as the issue starts and um, you don't catch your breath for a while. And, and, and it's 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 great fun. Um, a lot of Fast and Furious physics going on here. The, the 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 shit Roland's body goes through in these opening pages is is not something any normal human would be able to withstand. But um, he uh, he's able to um, complete his mission. And of course, in typical spy fashion, also um, beds the lady that uh, that he saves the day with. Uh, and then we cut to present day, where he's of course older, and he's coughing up blood. Um, if you couldn't tell by the cover, which is a pack of cigarettes, um, Roland smokes a lot, and and it's uh, it's apparently caught up to him. Roland also. Because of his days as a spy, uh, he's kind of let his family go to shit. His um, he's got children who one probably doesn't even know he's uh, he's her father. Son wants nothing to do with him, um, and uh, he he's just he's basically it, it's an honorary title these days. He's just kind of going through the motions. Um, but when he gets the news uh, that um, he may not 
have uh he, he may not be around much longer he um he decides that uh instead of kind of um going out uh with a whimper or or letting uh letting the cancer take him uh he's going to um he's going to fight back and uh and take on take on the evil of the world um it looks amazing it, it's it's absolutely it's absolutely a blast um which i mean it says that that's redundant mateo's drawing it so of course it looks great but it's um it's a lot of fun in in a warped twisted way it's um i think i think miller and uh scholar work really well together um and i uh um, if if this is like if, if we get to the end of the fourth issue, if if this is if this is Rolling King Swan Song, um, then we don't get uh, King of Spies Part Two, where he somehow survives. We just I I, I like knowing that. Uh, listen, this is he's going out on his terms, and then uh, these four issues are going to be about that, and we'll get a nice nice complete one volume story that will look amazing and um and will tell one hell of a story so i uh i was definitely pleased with this if um if you haven't checked it out if you were on the fence about it i definitely recommend it uh without a doubt i don't care if it's going to be a netflix show i'm not worried about any of that this is just i i just you know from start to finish i was kind of um i was hooked from the start and it's a page turner i i just um i was really really pleased with it i uh, i definitely would suggest it and i may not be i mean i've not loved everything mark miller has written i've i've read a lot of what he has written uh most of it and um but this is one that uh at least from the first issue is one that i uh i'm going to put on the uh thinks fondly of pile you really can't go wrong with Matteo. Seriously. Yeah, I'm. I'm glad to see you read that. I read it too. I've, as well, I'm sure you knew that because uh, it's Matteo. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I don't think I've ever read anything by Matteo that I, I couldn't find some enjoyment on. But, uh, but yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not sure which direction I'm going to go on the series right now, based on the first issue overall. Like, I, I, I thought it was fine. I, I wasn't like, I wasn't totally tractor beamed in either though so okay yeah i would be curious to know uh i i I would like to see some of the pages for uh for this series i think especially some of the uh because there's a lot of large panels here it's there's a lot i mean he doesn't i mean mateo goes goes big so i mean it's it's there's just there's a lot of um there's a lot of in-your-face bombastic action, and and uh, which he does so well. But I, I really would like to see his uh, the OA for this with with his uh, with his ink smudge pages and his splatter and everything else. It would I, I'm I'm sure I'm sure it'll look amazing. Maybe he'll have some at Heroes. Maybe I was going to say you know where to find them. That's true. Mitchell. Yep. What you the, got, Vince? No, the the versatility uh, of Mateo. It, it's a, it's really astounding because when when I think Mateo, I think Black Science, and 
uh, otherworldly atmospheres and creatures and technology and everything that was inherent in in that title, and then to switch it up and do a street level, not a noir, but but just like a, a, a an espionage type story. With most of the book is just plain old human beings and interiors mm. and, and gunplay, and it's like it's ridiculous how he can convince you uh in both respects that whatever you're looking at is real and not in the sense of reach out and touch it real but that yes somewhere in the multiverse these this environment and these people actually exist and it's it's very believable he's very convincing an illustrator and it's not easy to to excel at you know, science fiction or fantasy or slice of life or, or um, you know, cops and robbers or, or super spies. But the guy does everything really, really well. And it's ridiculous and disturbing at the same time how he could just turn on a dime. Like, a, he's a Swiss army knife. There's always something in the Matteo Scalera arsenal that's going to mesmerize us. And it bugs the shit out of me because it's he's young, right? He doesn't really have... A formidable amount of experience and time under his belt. Like, sure, he's been making comics about what, fifteen years? Yeah, yeah. Right. That's not a whole lot of time. There, there are people that have been doing it double that that aren't anywhere near as accomplished as Mateo. That's why I love him. But I'm just like I think, and I may put something in his drink, you know, because he's he's really really good, and I'm jealous of that ability. It's my dog. Yeah, I like him a lot. Yeah, and and uh, that reminds me, we are now in December. And so, for many of you, it's time to start giving real thought to the comics and creators that you love the most this year. Which brings us to the 11 Oak Oscars, our annual celebration of such things. Where, uh, again, we talk about it being our, our favorites, not the best, because the best is subjective. But uh, as we always do, we have uh, a nifty online uh, ballot for y'all. And uh, DAP lovingly couldn't have made it easier for you to access if you just go to 11o'clockcomics.com, our main website, so y'all better know that URL. Top left in bright blue on the tab, the 2021 11 o'clock. You click on that and you get yourself the ballot. If, uh, If you're, for some reason, averse to that, the URL is 11o'clockcomics.com slash 110Kloskers2021. But it's probably much easier to just go to our main site and click. Um, you have all the time in the world, uh, but it's going to go fast because it's the holiday season. We generally do our uh, awards episode mid-January. Uh, and I do need a few days to before that to tally the results. So we'll we usually let you know kind of first, second week of January when we're going to be locking things down. So you've got about a month, basically, to get your house in order. And uh, a couple things. You, you, you don't – there are, I think, close to 30 categories. You by no means – I think some people look at it and they think they don't have answers for some of them, so they don't fill it out. You don't need to answer every ballot. You, by all means, if you're just into horror comics and that's what you read, then just vote for that and – Maybe your favorite creator, if you if you're just in web comics or you don't read ever, you never read any collected editions. Whatever, whatever doesn't pertain to you is fine. Just 
just answer what you feel strongly about. Um, that's all good. We'll, we'll, we'll take more than happy to take partial submissions. And the other cool thing is if you uh, go through the ballot and you don't have all your answers, who would your first time out? It saves your it saves your answers and your progress. So by all means, you can go back in and change your results as you do some tweaking. You can go back in and add add things you hadn't filled out at first. And as like last year, there's incentive for many responses. So if we get uh, up to a hundred responses on the episode in January, we will announce from that group a winner, and they will get a twenty five dollar gift certificate to InStock Trades. If we get to 101 to 250 responses, it's 50 bucks. 251 to 500, $75. And if we get over 500 responses, which, full disclosure, has never happened. So, not sure it's going to this year. But, you know, hey, where there's a will, there's a way. We will award a $100 gift certificate to a lucky participant. So, uh, so you have incentive. It's not just doing it to make us happy. You're doing it for, for possibly glory. In stock trades, glory. But uh, it would mean a lot to us if you do fill out the ballot. Like I said, you got plenty of time between now and then, but it might be nice to if you haven't already gone and familiarized yourself with the categories. We made a few tweaks from last year. We always tweak at the at the margins a little bit here or there, but nothing major. Uh, most, of the ca- most of the main categories are, are as they always are. So, uh, yeah, get on that if you haven't already. And Because uh, you all know I, I do love this. Uh, I do love this here at 11 o'clock. Uh, also, you do have... Um Stiff competition with deli dogs and bathroom dogs, but we do have to mention the 11 o'clock comics album art submissions for 2022. Oh, damn. That's right. It's the truth. So, uh, get cracking. We, uh, you you will be here. Well, we still have to finalize the the, the scheduling. One of the uh, artists of our album art for this year, um, you'll be hearing from Chris soon. But uh, but yes, uh, aside from having your art attached to our episode every week, um, you can uh, if you're so inclined come on the show and tell everybody a little bit about yourself but uh but yeah we are in december so uh it's almost 2022 therefore we're going to need new album art and until we actually get something we might actually end up with with bathroom dog on on an, on an episode or two um but yeah i just wanted to i know we've been lax and uh getting that announcement out there yeah and here's how you do it the uh Restrictions are very, very few. It's basically do whatever you want, but uh, it has to be in a square proportion. So whether you want to work 6x6, 12x12, whatever, 300 DPI is the minimum. I don't want any pixelated, unless it's pixel art, but uh, no pixelated (laughs) stuff. And that's about it. It just has to say 11 o'clock comics in some form. Do your own art. Uh, we don't want submissions of Spider-Man or Superman or anything like that. Has to be your character or your illustration. Doesn't necessarily have to be a character, but whatever you do, make sure that it's not plagiaristic in any way. 
Yeah, because we don't we don't own that IP. Obviously, it's one thing to get a commission of those characters, but we can't use it for our commercial purposes. Right. But uh, the uh, iTunes album art is, of course, a square, so you must work in the same format. Just any size you want. Just make it reasonable. Uh, 300 DPI. I could take any kind of file format, JPEG, PSD, uh, whatever, and uh, you will just email it to whatever the email is on the website. I'm sure there's one. In- info at 11 o'clock comics. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, info at 11 o'clock comics. <laughs> or Vince at... Or David at, but right, Jason right, at, right. but it, 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 it's uh, just info so that they're all in one place. You've listened to the show. You've seen, you were looking at the album art for this episode, maybe, depending on what you're doing. But uh, you know, you know what to do. You've, you, you, I, I really, really do like, I really like the two we have for this year for, for, for the regular episodes and the, and the patron bonus episodes. But, um, I like the quirkiness or the, or, or the ones that uh, kind of just the inside jokes, the, the yes, layers, the, the things that kind of go back to what makes what makes the show fun. It, yeah. It's, you know, I mean, the the kid sitting on a stoop reading his comic book is is, you know, is one thing, but something that actually maybe lets the listener know what the show is about is um, kind of goes a long way with me. Yeah, and retain your working files. Just saying, because you may see it on a coffee mug or a t-shirt or, or some sort of bric-a-brac. So uh, just send me the flattened files, but save your working files. Whether you work in, in Photoshop or Clip Studio or, or, or Procreate, whatever you do it in, just make sure you save your original file and then flatten it and send it to me as a JPEG, PNG, TIFF, whatever. There you go. It's all there is to it. And good Lovely. luck. Yeah. Although I don't think I would mind seeing a kid sitting on a stoop reading comics. Like, that's kind of cool. But I'm just saying. It is cool. Mm-hmm. We've always been, I mean, we've been blown away. It, it Like, many things about the show humble humble me, humble us, right? But, but, but like, the quality of the submissions for our logo every year, it's always like, God damn. And it doesn't really, you want to work illustrative, great. You want to get designy, that's fine too. Whatever works for you, we'll just line them all up and there will be a low, there shall be a winner. It's big facts. Yep. Yeah, on a stoop would be neat, especially if, you know, he's reading something indicative of the show. So remember, if you want to buy comic books and you want to get them at the absolute lowest prices anywhere, you go to Discount Comic Book Service, dcbservice.com, and they will be more than happy to serve you up a boatload of money-saving titles, such as from Clover Press and the American Lib- and the Library of American Comics, sorry, Terry and the Pirates, the Master Collection, Volume 1, will cost you $84. That's 30% off the retail price. Antarctic, Spectraman Heroes, number one, will a paltry $2.49. That's 50% off. And last but not least, Eerie Publications, the complete covers, the whole bloody mess, and the weird world of Eerie Publications hardcover from Fantico and Feral House, respectively. You can either get the first for $41.97 or 
$27.97, depending on your flavor, and the latter for $24.71. Now, it was a super hectic and joy-filled weekend, and Monday was a bit of a wash because of the flight and all that crapola, but I am reading something. I'm not finished with it yet, because it is a massive tome from Fanographics. The majority of the art, almost all of the art, is by Giorgio Cavazzano. And it is Donald Duck and Uncle Scrooge in the world of the Dragon Lords. If you are familiar with Wizards of Mickey, and you should be because it's a great freaking series, this is more of the same, although applied to the Ducks. Uh, pretty standard setup uh, in some respects. A portal opens and Donald and the nephews embark. And the world on the other side of the portal is your very lushly realized fantasy world. There's swords and sorcery and dragons. And nothing gets me more than seeing our favorite Disney characters, whether Mickey or Donald and, and the nephews and Uncle Scrooge injected into a different environment. Hence the dragons and the, the, the wizardry. Uh, but that's not all that it is. Um, there's a, we were introduced to a young man um, named Jute or Ute. It's J-U-T-E. And uh, he, he's young-ish, maybe uh, tween age. And just the, the, the nephews and him hit it off because they're all experienced sponges. If there's one thing you could say about Huey, Dewey, and Louie, they're thirsty for knowledge and experience. And it, it's, it's along the same lines. And like I said, I, I haven't read much of it. I'm, I believe I'm, I don't even think I got up to page 100 yet, but the art is just astounding. Like you don't expect to see a giant-ass barbarian wielding a huge broadsword, um, axes uh, hanging off his belt, long flowing blonde hair, and dragons with the ducks. Like, that's, it's just, initially it doesn't register, but once it does, you're like, whoa, this is the best thing ever. There's baby dragons. It's so cool. It's just a beautifully realized fantasy romp um, I don't know where it's going to go, and I don't really care. Uh, I just love every panel of it. So if you're a Disney fan, um, in the vein of... Um, it's more along the lines of William Van Horn. It's not nearly as meticulously... No, I shouldn't say that. There's no super intense Don Rosa detail. And it's not as breezy as the Carl Bark stuff. But if you're familiar with the William Van Horn depiction of Duckburg and the the like, then I think you'll dig on this. But Cavazano's work is great. It's just amazing. So uh, get on this from Fanographics. Donald Duck and Uncle Scrooge in the World of the Dragon Lords. It was just published, just came out. So uh, get in on it. Okay. Um, in your travels, um, can't talk about vinyl because Vince isn't ready yet. Can't. Um, 
So I caught up on a blue and gold. Finished the third issue, read the fourth issue. Um, little bummed because, I mean, I'm not bummed at the art because Holly Hamner comes in for the third issue of um, of Blue and Gold, uh, which is um, the menace that tried to abduct the Justice League in the first issue of this limited series. Um, she makes her presence known and confronts, confronts Booster. Um, and as I suspected the uh because this is always because the booster is live streaming his uh his adventures or his uh interactions his altercations um there's a lot of social media twitter like blurbs during um during the battles and she cat i i suspected she cat was somebody we're familiar with from Booster's past, and um, lo and behold, we get uh, Trixie Collins' triumphant return to Booster's world. Um, she uh, she goes by Terry, which is short for Teresa these days, but um, but she's happy to see Booster. Um, it's great seeing. Blue Beetle, um, because the office space that Booster had planned on leasing for uh, for the Blue and Gold um, the restorations or, or whatever their Heroes for a Higher shingle was going to be named, um, because the money because Cord kicked Ted out not paying him anymore. Um, the money from court industries isn't going to be able to pay the rent. So, uh, they've got no place to go. Trixie does have a, uh, she does own a building. Um, it's in the same building as her yoga studio. So it's not necessarily a corporate type atmosphere that maybe booster was going for, but, um, depending on the clientele, this may work out um, in their benefit. The fourth issue, fourth issue was a lot of fun because we, um, we get a, he said, he said kind of thing going on. Um, Ryan Sook does the art for the present day, which is a, um, an interview that, uh, that booster and beetle are, um, are engaged in. And, uh, there's a there's a sequence where we get Blue Beetle's side of the story. That's illustrated by the amazing Kevin McGuire. And then there's a section where Booster tells his side of the story. And that's illustrated by um Dan Jerkins and Norm Ratman. So it's it's really cool to um see artists who are so attached to uh to the characters working on their particular um their particular stories and then of course guy gardner shows up to really set the record straight um and uh and that was um that was a lot of fun it, it the fourth issue is probably my favorite of the uh 
of the series to date. And uh, and of course, there's a uh, um, there's a whole line of people waiting to see the people behind Blue and Gold Restoration, and uh, and there's just I'm sure more hijinks are going to ensue. But the fourth issue was a lot of fun. It, the fourth issue was really what I was kind of hoping for when the series was was announced. Um, I've enjoyed the first three, but uh, but the fourth is definitely where it's at as far as I'm concerned. And yeah, uh, in your travels, check out Blue and Gold by Dan Jurgens and company. Nice. Well, a week or two back, I uh, sung the praises of uh, of uh, Scott Snyder's Comicsology original runs, and uh, yes, uh, publicly welcomed him back into my life. And uh, and I, I I'm even more pleased to shout out in your travels. You got to check out if you haven't already. Uh, American Vampire 1976, which was just collected uh, a month or two back in hardcover, the complete run, which is the version that I chose to buy it in. Um, American Vampire is a special book to me uh, for a lot of reasons, not the least of which uh, I really do credit it for being the um one of the the main ingredients into my art obsession um i if it wasn't the first modern series that i bought art from because i love the book uh it it was close to it um i know i bought pages uh before the second new york comic-con and had the pleasure of uh of of Jeff Lemire, who we knew, um, bringing me over to Scott and introducing me and and so forth, because Scott was brand new to the industry at the time, having this was his his debut book. And and many of you may remember that, uh, although I think he's amazing on the book, uh, the novelty of that first uh, miniseries was that uh, he had got he had gotten Stephen King to write a backup story in each issue, which certainly didn't hurt. Um, but yeah, and 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 the book has come out reasonably consistently. It had been four years, hiatus um, before this this arc, but uh, every few years he and Raphael Albuquerque continue to get together and and continue the stories of these uh, these vampires, most notably Pearl and uh, and Skinner. And I just love the characters, and, and I've I've loved every every rendition of it. There was a, a mini series that was drawn by Sean Murphy when he was on the come up. Um, but but basically the book when i think of the book visually i think of Raphael albuquerque um and, and he and uh schneider and dave mckeg and steve wands reunite for this this run as you can imagine it's called american vampire 1976 so it is in fact set in 1976 the bicentennial of our country and that's a an undercurrent to the story but um you know i think one of the great things about about uh, characters or stories that you love is that you can get away from them for a while. And then when you come back to them, it feels like you never left, you know? Um, I know I, I'm not going to speak for you guys, but I'm pretty sure you're in the same boat. There are a lot of comics that I read and like a month or two later, I can't remember. I know I read them, but I almost feel like I have to go back and reread them before I read the next issue. Cause I'm not sure what happened, but uh, a series like this, I, I hadn't read in four years and yet there isn't a kernel of what happens on these pages that I wasn't vividly uh, aware and connected to. Uh, and that's a real testament to those guys. It's just, it's one of my all time favorite series. So this, I think a lot of people thought of this as the uh, finale to the run. Um, it's actually not 
uh, I'm happy to say. They, they plan on doing more stories uh, set in the current, like modern times. But this, um, you know, maybe that never happens because their careers go in other directions. And if that doesn't happen, this is an absolutely pitch-perfect fitting ending to the uh, the narrative for really all the remaining characters. Um, you know, Skinner, when we last left him, was turned human, mortal. Uh, and it's interesting seeing him in that form, particularly in this arc where basically everyone else he's with are vampires. Um, and the premise is a relatively simple one. Uh, there's uh, there's a, a, a dark force. Um, I'd say it's, uh, you know, I, basically it's 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 the progenitor of, of the vampire and uh, the dark beast. And the dark beast wants its way on the earth. And in, in part of that involves culling, uh, basically genocide of, of, of all the different vampires. Uh, over the over the series, you learn that there are just tons and tons of different species of vampire. Hence, American vampires are different than the European vampires or the Carpathian vampires and so forth. And um, he is uh, the, the beast is essentially uh, culling power back by eliminating uh, many of the offshoots, and uh, that would include the American vampires. So, uh, needless to say. Um, Enemy of my enemy is my friend. So you've got a bunch of characters like Jim Book and uh, and Pearl and Skinner and 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 a bunch of others that uh, that had heretofore had been at odds with one another, even in as much as wanting to kill one another. But they, they are now united against a common foe, and it's a grand adventure. Uh, Albuquerque's never looked better, uh, and uh, I was fist pumping the whole way through. And like I said, it, the 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 book ends on a hugely satisfying way for all the characters. Um, you know, some meet their final end, which I think is fitting. Some move on, and uh, you know, as I've mentioned, apparently we'll, we we may get more stories from them. But if we don't, I salute this team for uh, over ten plus years of, of of my absolute, you know, top of the top, one of my favorite comics that uh, that has come out since we started the show. So uh, it is uh, with great pleasure that I say in your travels, make sure you check out American Vampire nineteen seventy six. Particularly if you were into the series before this and have just uh, you know lapsed or wondered if it was worth jumping back on, it absolutely is worth jumping back on. Cool. And if you just can't get enough of this, we will direct you to Facebook, Instagram, Reddit, and Twitter because we're all over that stuff. And if you would be so kind, check out the Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics because... It's all free this month. Everything the patrons see on a regular basis, you will see for yourself. So do that. And um, in the meantime, right, due diligence. You got to do it. You got to say it. Say goodnight. We saw it in real time, and he doesn't cheat. So Well, he didn't cheat that day. No, but oh he, my God. he walked over to the dishwasher and maybe he had stashed some kind of a, of a, I don't, I don't know what it was, but it was something. And, but he didn't, he didn't cheat. David, you know, he, he kind of, oh, here we go. Oh, and you know what? For the 11 o'clockers, how I usually play it is I spread the love around. That's not happening this year. <laughs> It's not because if if my favorite fantasy series is X, hey. good, and I 
just may think that that book was good enough to get my series of the year. I'm going to do that too. I'm not worrying about covering all the bases this year. Never should have. I'm playing it where it lays. So it's if if it's repetitive, well then maybe the book was just too damn good. Right? Uh, some of I it agree. was. I've, I've been thinking about it. Some of it was very surprising to me. But maybe not to other people. I don't know. But it was. I was like, wow. I, I have to vote for this publisher as publisher of the year. I have no recourse. I got to do it. Got to. Yep. Crazy. It's the world we live in. Yep. All right. We're out of here, people. We love you. And we'll be back. Tell them you love we them. We'll be. We love you. I believe it to you, David. Oh, 100%. Oh, I mean, oof. shit, that just, I mean. Yeah. It's, it's you got chills. That's it for that one. <laughs>